The following is a sermon from Gila Valley Baptist Church, and we pray this message strengthens your relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're located in Gila, New Mexico, and to learn more about our ministry or how to support our ministry, please visit GilaValley.org. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there is a black book in the pew in front of you. Malachi is the last book in the New Testament, sorry, Old Testament, to help you find it. Have you guys ever given your kids a financial amount to go and ask them to give or buy mom a gift? Go and buy dad a gift. Let's just say, for example, you hand Charlie a $20 bill, and Charlie's job is to go and to buy mom a Mother's Day present or a birthday present or whatever it is. Let's say that Charlie comes back without the gift. He comes back, and he has a toy for himself. Our disapproval of Charlie's action has nothing to do with the finances, The disapproval that the parent has is the commandment, the responsibility of, hey, why didn't you get your your mom something? Why didn't you get your dad something? That was the task that was laid out. And so as we look at Malachi chapter 3, we're going to talk about finances. But it's not a financial issue in Malachi chapter 3. It's a heart issue. If your child has a heart issue where they're selfish and they see that toy and they want that toy, they're going to buy that toy over doing what they were told to do with that resources. And so as we look at this, I know no one likes to talk about money. We're not talking about money today. Malachi is going to use an illustration of our finances and how it shows our hearts. And Malachi... He is writing to the Israelites. The Israelites have a checkered past. They have a history of rebellion, of disobedience with God. In Malachi chapters 1 and 2, he's addressing the quality of their financial gifts, of their sacrifices, of their offerings to the church. And so in Chapters 1 and 2, the conversation was, why in the world would you steal someone's animal and go and sacrifice it? That's not a sacrifice at all. Why would you take your blind animal or your animal that was damaged or eaten up or has a broken leg or a paralyzed back? You giving that to God is not anything that you're giving to God. Rather, you're giving God the leftovers. You're giving God what you don't need. It's not a sacrifice of your heart. It's not a commitment to follow the Lord. It's, here God, I know that I'm supposed to do this and so I'm going to transfer this lame animal or this animal that I sold to you. Okay, that's Malachi chapter 1 and 2. In Malachi chapters 3 and 4, he's going to address how much they're giving. In fact, there's a problem with some ministries going on inside the church not being properly financed. And so we're going to look at that. But again, this is not a matter of giving. It's a matter of our hearts. We see that in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 where we're going to see that Malachi calls them Jacob again. He says, hey Jacob, O children of Jacob, 
Jacob has a new name from Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. If you want to write that in your margins in your Bible, Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, Jacob is told by God, hey, you've wrestled with God, you've wrestled with man, and so your name is no longer Jacob, it is Israel. Okay, and so if you've ever had the conversation with your kids before, hey, you're acting like your mom's kid right now, that's what God's doing here in uh, verse 6. He's saying you're not acting like the children of Israel. You're acting like your former self. You're acting like the children of Jacob. So let's pray and we'll dive into God's word. Dear Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Father, I know that when we talk about finances as a church, there's an elephant in the room that is just foggy. And Father, we have a bitter taste in our mouth, maybe because of whatever reason, but Father, help that bitter taste go away as our heart is sanctified, as our heart's desire is to pursue you more. And Father, help me communicate God's word here in a way that convicts and challenges us to trust you with everything. Father, not just our finances, but our talents, our treasures, our resources, anything that we have. Father, we know that you are the great giver. And so, Father, may we just return that back to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Verse 6, For I am the Lord. We're going to stop right here on the word Lord. The Lord is in all caps. The Lord is written in two different ways throughout Scripture. In all caps and with a uppercase L. When it's an uppercase L, it's addressing the Lord or the master of our life, the boss of our life. Or Abraham even referenced her husband as the Lord over her. It's not the Lord Yahweh, but this here is the Lord Yahweh. So when you see in your copy of God's word, the word Lord, all caps, this is the word Yahweh. It's describing the Lord as this, the one who is and the one who will be. And so if you've ever asked yourself or maybe had uh, someone else in youth or children or anything, hey, where did God come from? Well, the answer, where did God come from, is Yahweh. The one who is and the one who will be. He's always existed. He is Yahweh. In fact, in Exodus chapter 3, some of us may be familiar with Moses talking to a burning bush. The burning bush is giving instructions and Moses is going to go back and tell his people these instructions. And he says, who am I supposed to tell who sent me? I'm supposed to go and tell them these things. Who am I supposed to tell them sent me? And he said the word Yahweh. As Yahweh was translated in Old Testament scripture and as it was written in to handwritten copies of God's word over time before we had the ability to mass produce it, the word Yahweh actually would remove the vowels. Jewish individuals would not even speak the name Yahweh. It was so reverent. It was so much respect. And we've translated it even more into some of ours. And so your copy of God's word here may not even say Lord, but it may say Jehovah. And this morning during worship rehearsal, man, I'm so thankful for our worship team and how they're listening to the Holy Spirit. But that first song that we sung this morning, Jehovah, 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 that's the same word. 
It's the same word as Yahweh. It's the same word as Lord in all caps. The respect for the Lord. And so as we understand the Lord in all caps, Malachi is going to reference it a couple times throughout this. And so let us also have the understanding of this is the Lord. This is the Lord who's created everything. He's always existed. I'm not going to worry about this or worry about that. I'm going to trust in the Lord, and the Lord is going to provide for us. And so for I, the Lord, do not change. What he's saying here to the readers is, hey, the Lord hasn't moved. The Lord hasn't changed his stance. He hasn't changed his promise to Jacob. He hasn't changed his promise to the Israelites. He hasn't, he's no longer not going to be faithful. That's not what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, I don't change. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Lord has always existed, and he will exist forever. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob... I love sarcasm throughout God's word. Oh, children of Jacob. Again, he's not referencing the children of Jacob. He's referencing the children of Israel who are being disobedient. Hey, you are your father's child. Maybe we've had that conversation with our kids in the past. He says, oh, children of Jacob are not consumed. He says, hey, man, don't waste your life. Don't use your life on things that don't matter Focus on the Lord. Verse 7, from him, the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. He says, the Lord hasn't moved, but all of us in our sinfulness and the wickedness of our heart, what we've done is we've turned aside. We've gone in our own direction from the statues, from the law that we know that we're supposed to follow. We've not kept them. We can look at the Israelites here, or the quote-unquote children of Jacob, and we can blame them. We can be like, I can't believe you weren't following Jesus. I can't believe you weren't obedient to the law that you had in front of you. But man, how much more so are we the same, if not worse? It says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of host. This is how we know that it's a heart issue, not a financial issue. The finances that he's going to represent in the following verses is going to address where the heart is. And where we spend our finances is where our heart is. If we always want the bigger house, our hope is in the bigger house, not in Jesus. If we always want the newest car, our identity is in having the newest car, the approval of man, or what other people think of us. Those things are not bad on their own, and we can have have those things as believers but if we rather have those things than have Jesus then we have a heart issue and so he says return to me remember the Lord hasn't changed he hasn't gone anywhere he says return to me and I will return to you says who the Lord of hosts we're going to see this promise we're going to see the protection we're going to see the providing of the Lord of hosts throughout our study this morning but you say, how shall we return? Lost people don't know that they're lost. Hey, God, how should I return to you? I attend church every single week. 
How should I return to you? I'm here. Hey, God, I'm sending my kids to this Christian continuing education program, whatever it is. How shall I return to you? That's the question that the children of Israel are asking as they're being confronted with the brokenness of their hearts. They're like, how? We're here. We're your people, God. How shall we return? It's actually asked the how question six times throughout Malachi, and we'll see it two times here in our text. Verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? How, God? How are we not being faithful to you? How do we need to return from you? Could you imagine if we just walked in the forest? On the way to Stafford, I got the privilege to drive with a church member to Stafford uh, during my first month here. And oh my goodness, it is beautiful. Now it's not safe because there's not like stuff on the side of the road to protect you if you fall off that hill. Good luck. But it's beautiful. Could you imagine if you got out of your car and you didn't know where your car was, but you just started walking through that beautiful forest? You just started walking, and you saw the lake, and you saw this. I went hiking with someone in our community. His name is Barry, and I asked him, I said, where in the world are we? And he says, it's okay. I know where we're going, so you just follow me. But lost people don't know that they're lost. If you're just walking in the forest, and you're going through the motions, and you're doing all these things, how you know that you're lost is you look at where you came, and you just see the forest, and you're like, I don't know how to get back to my car. That's what they're saying here. How shall we return? We don't know that we're lost. How have we robbed you, God? We, we've given you the lame animals. How have we robbed you? We've, we've given financially to the, the church. How have we robbed you? Well, when we understand that everything that we have is not ours, but it's the Lord, and if we don't return it properly, then we're robbing God. We're going to see a word tithe here in just a moment. I want to, again, address the elephant in the room. I'm going to make some very bold statements as your pastor. And God's word is God's word. It's not my word. And there's traditions and there's religions and there's denominations that will tell you that we have to give a tithe. We have to give an offering as a church member or whatever. It's not true. Let's dive into God's word. As God convicts them, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? And so in verses 6 through 8, we see that the Lord convicts. Before we go into verse 9, would everyone just hold up your hands like this? When we're holding our hands up like this, there's a little anger that gets built up. If you can squeeze your hands a little bit, what happens is your whole body just gets filled with this. But everyone open up your hands. And there's a sense of release. And so let's try it like this. If we're holding on to what God has given us, your job is not yours. God has entrusted you with that job. Your paycheck is not yours. God has entrusted you with that paycheck. But when we open up our hands and we ask God, what he does is he generously returns back to us more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
So again, this is an issue of the heart. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Man, what would we do if this letter was written to our church? The weight of that conviction. May we not be seen as a curse to our community. May we be a blessing to our community. What was happening here, and we're going to see in the following verses, is there were needs in the community that were not being met. People were going hungry. They were starving. The storehouse we're going to see here in a moment wasn't full of food. And so people inside that church and outside the church weren't only robbing God, but they were robbing their whole nation. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. If you don't know, the word tithe means 10%. It means one-tenth. And so sometimes in church we'll use the word tithe or we'll use the word 10%. That's where we get it from the Greek word tithe. My translation in the ESV says the full tithe. But under the Jewish law, it actually was not the law to give 10%. Under the Jewish law, it was the law to give 23% to the temple. What they're addressing here is the lack of resources inside the storehouse. The storehouse, some pastors will say, is now the temple. Some denomination leaders will say that the storehouse is now the head denomination, wherever they're located or whatever their denomination is. The storehouse would have been a building around the temple. The temple was there, and they would have different houses and buildings around the temple. And the storehouse is where the people would come in, and they'd give a tenth of their grain, of their crops, of their harvest, and they would store it in the storehouse. That way, if there was any need in their community, they would be able to go in and take from that storehouse. And so this is a ministry of the local church that is lacking on resources so much so that they've moved an individual into that storehouse to live in as residents. Because there's no one that's giving their tenth to the storehouse. And so he says, hey, would you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test? He says, I'm not even, uh, the reason why we know it's not a financial issue is because he doesn't address the 23% under the Jewish law that they're supposed to give to financially support the festivals of the church, the meeting of the church, the temple, the storehouse, the different resources. No, he's just saying, hey, the 10% that you're supposed to give to the storehouse so that your community doesn't go hungry, so that there's a need in the community, we can meet it. Just bring that tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food for the house, and thereby put me to the test. Well, God, you don't know about uh, the the locusts that came and the insects that came and the wolves that come and they attack my crops and they do all these things. He says, well, put me to the test. Says who? Says the Lord of hosts. All caps. It says the one who is and who will always be. This is one of the only areas that God tells us to test him. And so if I could challenge you to give whatever financial amount you choose to give to the church, if you're not giving in any way right now, just try it for three months. 
Try giving to the church. It doesn't matter if you give 1% or if you give 23% or whatever God has put on your heart. May it just be of a joyful spirit. But test God in this area of your life and say, hey, God, for the next three months, I'm going to give to the local church. I'm going to test you in this way. And another bold statement, I'd say if after those three months, God hasn't been faithful, God hasn't opened up the heavens to you, then stop giving. Because we know that God's word is true. We know that he will provide for us. It is God who provides. It is not man who provides for us. In your distress, in your discomfort, in your weariness, when you are looking for help, do you call up a friend? That friend is your Lord. Or do you call up upon the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you're going to provide for me. I don't know how you're going to do it. But Father, I know that you will. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven, heaven will rain down on us for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. He says, I will continue to bless you. I will continue to take care of your crops. I will continue to take care of your resources. As you put me to the test, I will open up the windows of heaven. Verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. We're going to stop right there on the devourer. We talk about the locusts, the insects, but this word devourer throughout scripture is also used to reference fires. And so could you imagine if the fires would take out the crops, how would the farmers be able to provide for the storehouse? Or maybe even the armies that would come and tack and steal from these farmers. The devourer for you, the Lord says he will rebuke not only the Lord, but the Lord who is and who will be Yahweh will rebuke the devourers for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And then going in, he goes and he says, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. Hey, we're going to take care of your crops, those crops that didn't grow because of whatever reason, due to lack of rain, due to lack of water, whatever, those crops are going to bear fruit as we're faithful to the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Man, how awesome would it be if we put this into practice and our heart wasn't on ourselves and our own selfish gain, but we saw needs inside of our church and we saw needs inside of our community and we used our financial resources that God has gifted us to impact our community. And then they look at us and they don't see us as verse 9 says, you are cursed. We will either be a curse to our community or verse 12 says us, for all nations will call you blessed and we will be a blessing to our community. May we as a local church be a blessing to our community. Whatever the responsibility is. A lot of pastors here will say that we don't need to give 10%. And I've put that before you today. But I also want to convict you with this. When Jesus is preaching on the Sermon of the Mount, he's preaching a sermon, he's reviewing the Ten Commandments, and he says, you know that the Ten Commandments say do not murder. That's the law. The laws do not murder. Here the laws to give 10% to the storehouse, 23% to the overall ministry of the church. The law is do not murder. But what does the Lord say? He says, now if you have hatred, grace has entered in, 
now that you have grace, if you even have hatred inside your heart towards a brother, then you've committed murder against them. And so let's not live according to the law. If we live according to the law and the brokenness and the wickedness of our sin, then we continue to increase in how much we sin. And we say it's okay because the grace of God is there. The grace of God is going to forgive me so I can sin even more. I can go and participate in those things. I can go and sin and I can do all these things because I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to confess. And God is graceful. He's merciful. So he's going to forgive me. That's a total misunderstanding of what grace is. Jesus goes on in the continuing of the Sermon on the Mount, and he uses the example of adultery. The law is adultery. He says, hey, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with another person's spouse. I think we can all agree that's a good law, right? But he says, now that grace has entered into the scene, I tell you that if you've even looked at someone lustfully, then you've already committed adultery. Adultery, where? In your heart. Because this is a heart issue. If we are giving to God and it's not a sacrifice for us, then we have a heart issue. Regardless of if it's 1% or 90%. There are people in our church that a sacrifice to God, a full of joy, would be a small percentage of their income. That's between them and the Lord. And may it be a true sacrifice. But there are other people in our church or in the capital C church that if they only gave 10%, that's not a sacrifice at all for them. And so let's understand that our offerings to the Lord need to be a sacrifice for us. Let's not focus on what the law is. We're no longer under the Old Testament law. We have grace, but may we understand the heart issue that Malachi is presenting to them. And may our church be a church that is able to meet the needs inside of our community. Whether they're believers or unbelievers. May our members, our church members, be faithful to their tithes and their offerings so that we have the resources to minister to people. It's the most important cause of all time. In fact, now when you go to the grocery store or you check out online or whatever, people will ask you, hey, would you like to donate a dollar or two dollars or five dollars to a specific nonprofit organization, Red Cross, this, that, Millennials, who I will tell you that I fall into that category, don't hold it against me. Millennials are known as the most generous generation. As far as the financial contributions, the sacrifice, where they are able to give. But the problem with that is they're not giving to the local church. And so... May it be the church's responsibility to go and provide water overseas, not a nonprofit's responsibility. May it be the church's responsibility to go and meet needs in the community. James chapter 1, verse 27 will be on the screen, talking about pure and perfect religion. It says this. 
pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There are not enough churches that have a ministry to orphans. Our church thankfully gives several thousand dollars to a children's home in New Mexico. Orphans. There are not enough churches who minister to widows. Thankfully, we have a group of deacons who their primary responsibility is to serve the church and to take care of widows, and they take that seriously, and we praise God for them. True and perfect religion is that we care for people. If we have a heart issue of any kind, may we repent. Do you feel like you're far from God? Do you feel like maybe you have turned your back on God? The recipe for relationship with God is always confession of sin and faith in Christ. I'm going to ask our band to come forward this morning. No one will say when standing at the gate of heaven, if only I had more money to spend on myself. The one who consumed with God's glory will say, if only I had invested more money in the everlasting kingdom. It takes resources to reach people with the gospel. And may we understand that that is the most important cause. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for this message from Malachi chapter 3. Father, we pray that you would convict us of areas in our lives where our heart is not focused on you. Father, we know that you provide for us. Yahweh provides for us. And Lord, you protect us. And so would you provide and protect for us as we use those resources to minister to your community. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand and sing?